Alrighty. Hey, mom. Hi, sweetheart. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? The honest truth? I am so happy right now to see two of my favorite people in the world on my computer now, and I cannot stop smiling. The world cannot see that, but the two of you can see that. So I'm very happy in this moment. So thank you for being a part of this with us today, Austin. You weren't supposed to introduce him yet. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, just to kick things off a little bit, we have decided to officially call this podcast, um, don't mind our mess. So welcome back to another episode of Don't Mind Our Mess with me, Cassandra, and my beautiful mother, Kim. Um, so today, our we wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the fact that it's Men's Mental Health Month, a mental health awareness month specifically for men. And obviously, mom and I we're not men, so we do not feel qualified to speak on this topic, even though it's such an important conversation to be having. Um, so with that being said, our guest today is not only a dear, dear friend of mine, who is arguably one of my bestest friends in the entire world, but he's also becomes like a huge part of our family dynamic. He's not only a big brother to me, but a big brother to Colin and Megan. Like, even though I'm not living at home, he is there in my steed doing the work as the big brother should and you are also like a newly licensed paramedic you are met like a reserve medic for the military you have so many great accolades um and life experience at such a young age to be able to talk about this and we love you so we wanted to hear your take so thank you for being here austin Amazing. So happy to be here. Um, Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be able to talk about this today because I think it's a huge topic that deserves a lot more attention than it gets. Um, And yeah, just really, really stoked to have the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And like, honestly, tell us like a little, obviously I gave a little blurb, but I wanted to start this off by just asking like, give us like two things that just genuinely stoke you about life like genuinely make you so unbelievably happy rock your socks off like kicking what's the phrase i get a kick out of you type of vibe um yeah so two things about that would definitely be um for me personally is helping people and being able to help others especially in um the capacity of assisting with other people's mental health. Uh, I think that that's a huge thing to be able to kind of put yourself in those shoes for another person and uh, provide them with a source of empathy that they might not otherwise have, uh, depending on their situation with uh, parental figures or guardians and stuff like that. uh, Or if they don't necessarily have like good friends to look to, just being able to help people in that capacity. Um, And yeah, that's kind of what got me into, like you said, being a paramedic and being an army reserve medic, being able to help people not only physically, but being able to help them mentally as well. Um, And I would say another one that kind of drives me personally is just striving to kind of find my own rhythm in regards to mental health and the things that help me through the day to day. Um, And just like, you know, going outside, finding things to do as 
like solo activities like rock climbing or mountain biking um, or hiking and stuff like that to kind of just get me through my day and find that source of happiness for myself. Which are all like super duper important. Like mm-hmm. I think people undervalue the little things, the routine in life that makes that kind of just like takes the edge off a little bit. Absolutely. What I heard you say, all of those things are outdoor activities. And, you know, it's proven that once you get outside and you start being and surround yourself with nature, that is one of the biggest things. Um, well, first of all, exercise is one of the biggest things that can help with mental health and getting your endorphins going. Um, but also beauty and nature in itself is such um, a huge tool in helping reduce stress and um, impacting your mental health is that one of the reasons you or one of the tools you leverage daily to help with your mental health or do you even think about it like that or do you just enjoy those activities um but no 100 <laughs> percent uh i absolutely do it for the mental health um i myself have uh have suffered through depression and anxiety in the past um and it's it's not fun point blank. There's, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Um, there's no quick fix to either of those things. You can't just make yourself happy. Um, you have to, you have to put in the work. And I think part of putting in that work is finding those healthy outlets. Um, and I 100% that was exactly what drove me to finding those things like going outside and doing those activities that are going to get those endorphins up. And, uh, and yeah, really just, really just focusing in on those and finding the ones that work for you. For me personally, uh, like I said, it was hiking and rock climbing predominantly because they're independent sports that you can very much make a team and group activity, uh, when you find a group of people that, that are doing it for the same reasons. And yeah, so I think it's, I think it's super important to have those, have those outlets. 100%. Speaking of groups of people, um, like circling back to the whole reason why we love you also is because like you and Colin have found such like companionship for climbing. There's literally a seven or nearly seven years age difference between the two of you. But like, you know, you both went to climbing at a point where you were feeling kind of anxious, really stressed out, lost of direction and have found companionship with each other despite the fact that there's like this huge age difference you know which I really appreciate and I think is super cool Mm -hmm. and there are definitely uh it's it's funny that you say that actually um because there are definitely there are definitely days where uh you are my best friend and there are definitely days where I will talk to your little brother more than I will talk to you um (laughs) (laughs) I find that quite entertaining um yeah, Colin, uh, Colin, I have called my little mini me for quite some time. Uh, and a large, large part of that is because of climbing, because we kind of found the found the same reasons to do it, uh, to kind of get away from that anxiety and everything that was kind of holding us back. Um, not to speak on his behalf, but I know that I know that that was something that drove him to do it. And something that uh, it is, it has been able to help him with a lot as well as myself. Um, I th- think, um, how do I want to say this? 
I completely lost my train of thought, which is horrible. Well, point one for our listeners, Colin is uh, my son. Um, He is 14. He's also Cassandra's little brother, uh, just for the people who may not know our family. Um, And he has known Austin or has been in Austin's realm since what? He's about six or seven, I guess. Yeah. Around that. So he's literally kind of grown up with you. Um, and I wanted to kind of highlight the fact that, um, or mention to our listeners that this time last year, just probably at the beginning of your January, February, Colin himself was really struggling with his mental health. He was, you know, COVID schooling, cohorts, everything had been shut down. He was really trying, struggling to find himself. He had started climbing already, but was doing that very independently because because of covid and you know when i had a conversation with him saying you know what do you need from us to help kind of move forward and get um more focus in your life and try to help with your mental health we went through a whole list but one of the lists was to spend time with you austin and i remember reaching out and you saying yes but let me talk to my parents because it's covid we'll be spending time together and we need to make sure everybody's okay with that and i remember your mom saying to you i think it'll be good for both of you to spend that time together um and i've seen the benefits for colin but do you think having knowing you're helping and mentoring and being a role model for a younger male in particular kind of helped with your own mental health. You, it gave you a more specific focus in your mental health journey. I think it absolutely did. Um, they say one of the best ways to learn something is to teach it. And I think that in this case, it was more one of the best ways to teach something to yourself is to preach it. Um, mm and talking about some of that mental health stuff with Colin, um, definitely, definitely put it in perspective for myself. I remember, I remember this one night in particular after, uh, after going climbing with Colin, and I think this was probably about, um, (laughs) uh, there's one point in particular that I wanted to bring up kind of on, on that note that I remember pretty distinctly, um, about two weeks after the, conversation that you just brought up where you reached out to me I remember after climbing one night Colin and I just went for a drive through uh through all through Souk and we just went down the back roads and it was pouring rain and we were just blaring Nickelback and singing it at the top of our lungs because what else do you do on a Thursday night in Victoria um during coronavirus (laughs) exactly yeah during COVID um and I just remember him he looked up at me and he he said, we were, we were going down this road. I was kind of like half-heartedly paying attention. And he was like, you know, every time I talk to you, I get so much less anxious. And I was like, wait, hold on. What? Like, say, say that again. What do you mean? And he, and he I'm not going to directly quote him because I don't know how much of the conversation he would want to uh, divulge. But basically, it was along the lines of that almost exactly like you said that like getting to climb with me as a mentor and almost being like Cass said previously, almost like an older brother in that instance, um, like just fully 
divulged that it was helping him immensely. And I remember just feeling so, so like, how can I put this into words? Grateful in that moment. Um, and very like introspective that even though at the time, obviously unbeknownst to Colin, I was severely depressed um, and everything in life was making me super anxious. At this time, I was in between jobs. I had no cash flow. My car was broken down and was, and it was, it was just a real low point in my life. And to hear that from someone else is kind of when I realized that one of the best things that you can do for yourself is help someone else that's going through the same thing. And I think this all kind of ties back to a, a global point that is always worth talking about, especially with men's mental health, is that you're never in it alone. And that sometimes reaching out to someone else and making sure that they're okay will wind up being the thing that is that will actually end up helping you. Because I know as he was saying that, all that I could think was how I hadn't thought about my problems. I hadn't thought about my money issues in that moment. I hadn't thought about my own depression or my own anxiety in hours because the whole time I was just hanging out with Colin and talking to him and helping him through his stuff. And it was a little bit of kind of like a disconnect for me of being able to disconnect, pardon me, in a positive way that I was like able to disconnect from my own stuff to help Colin with his stuff. And a lot of the things that I was saying to him ended up kind of helping me in my own life. Um, so it's definitely, definitely, I think one of the biggest things to be able to do is to, to help someone else in that scenario. Have you ever felt like there was a time where you couldn't speak your truth about how you were feeling mentally because of the stigma around men being emotional? <sighs> Heavy question. Um, she does Heavy that. podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, this, is not, this is not a fun and games podcast. <laughs> we can make it like that. tonight. <laughs> Um, you can play like true, two truths and a lie later if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Yeah, it it definitely having that kind of toxic masculinity surrounding the men's mental health crisis. Because let's face it, it is a crisis. There are a higher percentage of men that suffer from uh, anxiety and depression that commit suicide every year than any other categorized group three quarters um, three quarters of the suicides in canada are men oh wow i i yeah i didn't i didn't know a statistic well enough to to yeah. put numbers to it but that's that's mm -hmm. absolutely enamoring um and i think it 100 percent stems from what you just said Cass. that it's there's definitely a stigma around it and it's something that people don't like to talk about it's something people don't feel comfortable talking about and i think the idea that men are supposed to be the ones helping people and not supposed to be showing emotions they're supposed to be the tough guy they're supposed to be the one who's 
got it together or the athlete who just shows no emotion and doesn't care about anything and all of these stereotypes that we joke about as stereotypes but at the end of the day they're they're all real these are all real types of people and real men who struggle every single day and like if you for example in february if you would look at me i was in between jobs but i was climbing all the time i was doing martial arts i was singing into a very promising career as a paramedic but i was dying inside and if if you weren't close enough me to me sorry for me to divulge that information you would have no idea because i hit it so well just like so many men do um and it's it's definitely i think it definitely came from that in a sense that i i felt like i had to be that way i felt like i couldn't yeah. be the anxious guy i had just turned 20 i couldn't be the anxious teenager anymore i couldn't be depressed i had to be the adult that um to uh to speak some french here had his shit together um <laughs> and um and yeah it was it was definitely a really hard time for me to not only be going through that but feeling like I couldn't admit it to anybody and feeling like I didn't, that I didn't have a way to reach out do you think that would have changed if you felt like you wouldn't have this flack of being a sad man like you felt like do you feel like you would have had the chops for lack of a better word to say something to reach out to like like be a bit more open about the fact that you're like hey I'm not okay if there wasn't this overhanging fear of I have to be okay I think there's there's two trains of thought to that because you it's it's definitely all well and good to say like oh if you don't if you don't feel like you have to be happy, then you'd be more willing to admit that you're not happy. But the flip side of that coin is, I think that there have been two avenues created the more that this becomes a topic of conversation. It's now become so hyper stigmatized to be a man with mental health issues that Kim, like you stated before, it was uh, like 75% of the suicides in Canada were men with mental health disorders. I've tried to reach out to a friend before that said, and I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm just feeling really depressed right now. I don't really know what to do about it. And do you know what their first question was to me? It wasn't, do you want to talk about anything? It wasn't, Hey, let's go grab a coffee. Um, Do you need to be distracted or do you actually want to dive into some of this? It was, are you going to kill yourself or something? because that's all it became Mm -hmm. because it's been so stigmatized that oh it's like there are so many men hiding in the shadows that end up killing themselves and no one knew why and now it's like you've almost created these two trains where guys feel like a they can't speak out because they're supposed to be the happy ones they don't want to be part of the statistic or b they don't want to speak out because they don't want to be treated like they're going to kill themselves just for being sad that is such a valid point 
And I was, I was very much caught in the middle of that. Um, But do you think, um, and for a lack of a better terminology is until people really start digging into mental health, like understanding anxiety, understanding depression, like when people say you're depressed, that doesn't mean you think you're going to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Like there's layers. Oh, there, absolutely. It's building up. And, but people, it's like self-harm. Someone finds out somebody's cutting. Oh, they're going to kill himself. Nope. That's not the case. Yeah. But it's because there's a and until you're actually um, kind of confronted with having to deal with print, print, um, mental health, you really don't understand the complexities of it. Um, and I, th- I think that's what really what these podcasts and what the importance of educating is understanding someone can be depressed, but that does not mean they're going straight to killing themselves. Absolutely. Um, And I think that's, and I think that's part of the problem is that the fact that it's been pushed so hard, the extreme of these statistics of like, when we're talking about men's mental health, we don't just look at the statistics of men with anxiety, men with bipolar disorder, men with borderline personality disorder, men with depression, everyone instantly jumps to guys that have killed themselves and i think people jumping to that extreme is what's kind of create created this very polarized view of mental health where we need to focus a little bit more on the in-between and like talk to the guys who maybe aren't depressed they're not like wondering who they are they're not trying to find their path in life still they're not like they're not sad all the time. They're up, they're functioning, but they have soul crushing anxiety all day. They constantly yeah. have a pain in their chest at the fear that someone is going to call them out for being overweight or for oh. being short or you any wanna, of these things. That's a that whole nother topic. Like not to cut you off, but there's a, that's no, a whole nother shinding that people aren't even people fail to discuss is like, like the body image issues are real for not just women right like my partner goes to the gym as you guys know goes to the gym all the time and he talks about how like so many guys are more obsessed with their appearance than girls are and work out all the time not because of health but because they're obsessed with obtaining this perfect physique and I think a lot of people just brush those like toxic behaviors off as like, oh, they just have testosterone to burn off. Like that's just normal. No, it's not normal, right? I mean, it could be for some people, but like, why? Why? Why are we asking these questions? Like, why are like what's driving them? What's driving them? And like, do we ask? We never ask the guy. Do you like the way you look, and why? They, we just assume they do. Oh, and a lot of the time, that's such a false narrative. Yeah, exactly right. And it's it's something so difficult to talk about, I find, because guys mm-hmm. don't want to talk about it. It's like 
people people will absolutely tell you like all these reasons that they go to the gym. It's like, oh yeah, I want to get I want to get huge. I want to look good for my girlfriend, whatever. But if that's a lot of the guys that are using the gym and have this or sorry, pardon me that are using the gym to create this kind of outlet for themselves and have this ridiculous amount of body dysmorphia to the point where they're throwing themselves into like an eight or 900 calorie deficit every single day, like to unhealthy amounts of working out that no one asks that guy if he's okay at the end of the day. Cause they're like, Oh, I, he's huge. He has massive biceps. He has the pretty girlfriend, all of this stuff. And no one, no one bothers to ask that guy because he's the big masculine guy. He's the one that is supposed to be the big strong guy. And it's that like, I think stigma around that. That's one of the main things that needs to kind of be killed with, with this idea of men's mental health month. I, I was saying that um, I quite enjoy is like, you never know what else someone is going through. So we make all these assumptions based on a glance mm-hmm. and judgments. Right. And th- I think for me, that's the biggest thing with mental health. You've heard me say this before. It's like, we need to stop judging people and start understanding them. And by the only way to start understanding people is by engaging in conversations and taking yeah. a moment to connect with them and not assume anything about them right Absolutely. yeah I think like it's so like to build off of what you guys were both saying the thing I kept thinking was what's behind the curtain right mm-hmm. like you see this individual who is highly successful who has works out all the time, has a great body, objectively, really good life. And maybe even portrays that image on social media as well. Are they happy? What are they struggling with? What are they thinking about late at night? And are these obsessions with meeting the standard of what a good man uh, looks like? Is that, that may be killing them inside. Right? Absolutely. I... I think to come back to your a couple points, actually, one, one of the reasons I love talking to your guys' age group, I learn something new every day. Um, I have not heard the word or the term, uh, term toxic masculinity before. Masculinity. Uh, <laughs> so um, can you describe, maybe I'm going to go back, come back to that again, but so I think anybody who kind of looks at you, Austin, I, um, we haven't really delved into your, like a theater kid. You have an amazing voice. You love performing. I mean, like when I watch you on stage, you just, especially with, you know, the upbeat songs, you're just, there's this aura of like, happiness when you're on stage and you tend in every room you walk into like you tend to enter a room the same way you come into like onto the stage now obviously with maybe not the same you know excitement um but you bring a presence into a room is what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and that's kind of normal that's normal austin 
But do you feel that some, and I don't know if you even know you do that or if that's just part of your, like, that's kind of how I see you. But to me, I always wonder like how much effort does it take to walk in and be that high when inside you're completely the opposite. And earlier this year, you were completely the opposite of what most people think of Austin. It is really draining, to be honest with you. Um, I I do know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I know um, the kind of persona that I put forward when I walk into a room. Um, and yes, uh, years and years of musical theater has uh, has trained me to walk into a room with a smile and with an energy that is welcoming and inviting. Mm. Um, and I found it extremely helpful in my career. Uh, but one thing I've also found it extremely detrimental in is that that is a ridiculously hard front to hold when you are not okay. And it is, it is a really, really difficult thing to walk into a room. I found this a lot actually in theater because um, a lot of my, a lot of my mental health stuff like was really, really bad just before grade 12. Um, like kind of summer before grade 12, I would say was one of my lowest points. Um, and coming back to school, I was excited to see my friends and it was like, I would be, I would be excited for like five minutes to talk to someone. And after five minutes of a conversation and Keep in mind for those who are listening and don't know me, I am normally an incredibly extroverted person. I will talk Actual. to you for hours. <laughs> and <laughs> hours. And hours, yes. <laughs> On top of that, uh, for literally anything well we into the night. Sleep. I know I won't. If the conversation is still going, Austin is still awake. And that's just what it's been my entire life. Um, and that was one of the biggest things that I noticed actually was that I found myself getting tired of a conversation 10 minutes after it started. And I wasn't able to speak my mind anymore because I was suddenly getting worried that someone would see that I wasn't okay. And my depression that I was feeling from life circumstances started causing anxiety about the, like I started getting like imposter syndrome. I started getting personality dysmorphia of the Austin that I thought I was supposed to be and who I actually was from what I was going through. And they were two very, very different people. And I think it's like that for a lot of people where they put on a front and they try and make themselves seem like the happy one. And they make themselves seem like the exciting extroverted one. And in reality, they're the same one who's to be very frank and slightly dark with it, they're the one who's writing notes about suicide and then crushing them up and burning them. They're the ones who are cutting themselves and just wearing hoodies for the next week until it heals. And people don't think anything of it because when they're talking to them, they're bubbly and happy and people forget to check in on their happy friends. And I know that it's a way overused example, but Robin Williams was 
happy guy in public, always laughing, always making other people laugh. No one would have ever guessed that the man was depressed. Yeah, clinically. And like my exactly. My question then would be if we already know that often the people who are the happiest are deep down the saddest, but how would we feel if they actually spoke about it? I think, honestly, I think if a happy, very happy person said to someone, I am not okay, it would rock that person's world. It would be like, what do you mean you're not okay? And it wouldn't be the sympathetic attitude. It would be the, how could you not be okay? You're the happy person. And it, yeah. that's such a toxic mentality, which also kind of frightens me a bit because the ultimately the only way for people to work out how they're feeling and feel okay is by talking to people and it doesn't have to be like talking to your friends talk to your freaking doctor you know and if we're looking down on the people who are objectively happy and not giving them the space to not be okay because they're supposed to be happy it's a really it's a dangerous thing that's just such an aggressive cycle like where do we go from there Um, I, th- I just love that conversation right here, right now, because that it's so important. It comes back to, you know, we can't judge anybody and we can't just assume any, I think it's so important. Well, two things. I think if you are that person who is trying to come across as I'm okay and I'm going to be the cheerleader in the room for everybody. And as soon as I walk out the door and I go to the bathroom, I'm dying inside. That person needs to know there's always somebody. And it may not be your best friend. It may not be your mom. It may not be your dad. It may be somebody who you feel just comfortable talking about and they're willing to listen because you know, they're a good listener, right? It doesn't have to be the typical people in your life. And I think, you know, if you do have a support, like I know the two of you talk all the time and you guys have gotten each other through some really difficult times and not, but not everybody has that. And I would just hope that anybody listening today when people say there's always somebody willing to listen, there really truly is. Some, and you may not even find that person where you think you could, it could be on the bus. It could be in a car driving down a chosen road when a little 14-year-old boy turns around and says, I don't feel as anxious. Yeah. It, it, you don't know where you're going to find it. What I do recommend is as long as you feel comfortable with the person that you're talking to for Cassandra to circle back to the comment you made, I think it's true. Like, how can you not be okay? If that's the response you're getting, you know, that's not the person you need to talk to. Yeah. And, but I also recommend don't give up just because you tried once and it didn't kind of stick and didn't land with that person you thought it might don't give up try a game with somebody else because you will find somebody 
Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a really interesting point. Uh, I think that a lot of people miss out on is that they think because a lot of this anxiety stems from not feeling like you're able to talk to someone if they try and talk to one person and they don't take it seriously or that person isn't receptive to what you're going through it's so discouraging (laughs) and it's it just makes you not want to talk about it with anyone I've Mm -hmm. been in this scenario I've been on the other end of this scenario where I tried to talk to somebody that I wasn't super close with but that I knew was kind of adept in some of this mental health stuff because of things that had happened with their family. Um, And I tried to talk to them about it and they just didn't take it seriously. Mm. And it discouraged me so, so much from reaching out to anyone else for a really long time. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, But yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things that just makes it so much more difficult to reach out. So please, if, if you're listening to this, the, I feel like the paramedic in me has to say the sentence I'm about to say. Um, but if someone comes to you with their mental health issues, please never take that as a joke. Mm-hmm. Because unless someone is obviously, obviously joking about it, especially for a lot of men nowadays, that is not something that they will talk about lightly. And it's not a lighthearted topic that they're going to bring mm-hmm. up over beers um it's it's a heavy thing and when people don't take it seriously it is very discouraging and that i think is one of the main reasons why um so many men end up committing suicide is that they feel like there's literally no one to talk to because people don't take it seriously you know we look at you know are your dads or my dad. So we look at the 85 year olds. We look at the 50 year olds. Now we're talking to 20 year olds and we're into the teens here. And let's go even younger, like the five, six, seven year old boys. It's for me is we really have an opportunity here to raise sons and boys right now right here so when they're in their 20s they're in their 30s 40s 50s 60s they feel comfortable being vulnerable they can cry they can sit down go i'm having a fucking shitty day i want to cry and cry and openly cry if they want to or express like i'm really feeling anxious and giving them the language to do that and giving them this a safe space to do that like I don't want Colin ever feeling like he cannot open up to us now because his sisters have anxiety too so all three kids as everyone knows have generalized anxiety disorders he's learned the language that we have used in our house so I think he's fortunate that way he's also a boy though And unless he's seeing it in other men, it's one thing to see me cry or his sisters cry. It's another thing to see, like, how many men, I guess, Austin, have you seen you, like, have you seen your men in your life cry or 
Like I, I can remember the first time I saw my own dad cry. I was twelve, but it was at a funeral, mm-hmm. right? So that was kind of acceptable. I don't yeah. even think I've seen my dad cry. I, you probably haven't. And he is the first to admit that it takes a lot for him to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. He has said that to me. Now he might kill us for saying that because we're sharing and disclosing stuff, but it's a generational thing, right? Like yeah. we need to break it. So these kids and you guys, cause you're 20, you're not like, you're still, you're a young adult. Like mm-hmm. we can change and shift right here, right now, but you have Absolutely. to feel safe to do so. And 100%. I would like, and I think, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say from conversations I've had with like guy friends of this age and like partners in the past, maybe it's because I'm a female and opening up, I would, I, I, I feel like opening up to a female might be a bit easier. Oz, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I would say so. Yeah. So from what like the conversations I've had with like friends and partners in the past has just been like, like I this this toxic masculinity thing of having to it it always comes back to that where they want to they want to express they want to be vulnerable but there's that thing that like sticks in them kind of in the back of their head but what's also on the other side of that coin is at least they're aware of it and you know what on on that same note I was this is something that I was about to say after uh after you said what you said Kim but I think this even ties into it further I want to redefine toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. because frankly, I don't think toxic masculinity has anything to do with the person who isn't sharing because they have to feel like they can't share. I think toxic masculinity has everything to do with the fact that there are so many men out there that will just blatantly judge and reprimand other men for feeling this way. Yeah. And I think that's where the toxicity comes from. I don't think that the toxic masculinity is something that's built into people with these mental health ailments and disorders. I think it's the people that they're talking to not being receptive and not taking it seriously. Yeah. So what would be... What would be one thing you would like or you think we can start doing to help change the narrative here? And I don't, I don't, I'm a firm believer we do not need to go, we are going to change the whole way we think about men's mental health and with one big goal. I believe it's the small incremental goals that we make and changes that affect change i 100 percent agree i 100 percent agree um if if for the sake of this conversation and not trying to name a hundred little incremental things that we that we can do to to make all of this better but what be one thing you would start place, tomorrow like you could start thing, tomorrow one thing that i personally could start tomorrow i think would be the willingness to open up to other men 
because Cass, you made an interesting point just a moment ago that it's easier to open up to women than men. And I think part of the problem with that is that people don't do it. Like, sure, someone might judge you for it, but you know what? At the end of the day, I have so many male friends who are like university varsity lacrosse players and varsity football players and these like big burly manly man guys that if I walked up to them and I was like, dude, you know what? I'm not okay. And I need to talk to you. They would get really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But if I had that conversation with them three, four, five, six, 10 times, it would become more normal. Yeah. And I think that's the whole kind of agenda of mental health month of men's mental health month, pardon me, is normalizing the conversation of man to man, like actually being able to talk Mm -hmm. about men's mental health from a man's perspective with another guy, because you're absolutely right, Cass. It is easier to talk about this stuff with women, with a female presence. And it's not, it's not anything really to do with gender, but more just to that. A vulnerability almost. Absolutely. It feels easier. And you can dive for hours into the fact that it's ridiculously strange that our society automatically assumes that femininity equals vulnerability because it's not true at all. Some of the strong, not some of all of the strongest people that I know in my life are women. Two of them are talking to me on the phone right now. Um, But I think it's just being able to normalize that conversation between guys is a big thing. And Kim, you said earlier something that would be beneficial for Colin would be to see the normalization of men crying. Mm -hmm. And I think that's absolutely true. And I think that that was something that led to Colin kind of disclosing some more about his mental health with me was that he was super, super not into talking about it at first. He just wanted someone to be there. I was like, okay, well, you know what? if you don't want to talk about your mental health, I'm going to talk about mine. And I started that conversation and kind of freaking Uno reversed him um, <laughs> by, by starting the conversation myself. Um, and that, and that led to just that, just that one conversation that normalized the topic allowed him to dive into his own thoughts on it and his own experiences with it. And I think that was something that was so, so important at the time um, and really just makes me believe that it's kind of a global thing that we can do is just normalizing the topic. If you think someone's not doing okay and they're not wanting to talk about with you, talk about your own mental health. Talk about someone that you know that had mental health issues and maybe something that they tried to get through it. Because some people might say that that's like... um, that you'd be talking down to the person. I completely disagree. Every time that I've had a mental health patient in the back of my ambulance, I have almost, not almost, in every single instance, I have used an anecdotal solution Mm. from either my personal life experience or friends and family's life experience of things that they tried to get through mental health stuff. And yeah, a lot of times it didn't work. But you know what? I can think of at least three instances where I 
had someone in the back of my ambulance that I gave them an anecdotal story. They went and tried doing something, a new thing that switched up their routine, something to get them outside, something to get their endorphins up. And it helped. It genuinely helped. And they found me on Facebook later and reached out to me and thanked me for giving them that. And to me, that's what it's all about. It's just getting the conversation going in one way or another, whether it's with anecdotal um, solutions or whether it's giving them resources or just being someone to listen or talking about your own mental health. It's just, it's just such an important, important thing to include yourself. Essentially, let's normalize men talking about their feelings. Yes, indeed. And I think we can. I think we are starting to do that. I think yeah, we have a long way agree. to go, but I think, I think to, I'm just watching the time. Uh, we could probably talk forever on the subject. Oh, um, absolutely. But we're probably reaching an hour here. Um, but to circle back to your comment about, you know, that rugby player that you used as an example, like the first time he may not be comfortable, the second time he may not be comfortable. But I also think that's very true. But also you might be giving them permission as well to go, oh, how many men wish they could speak up and they just need a leader to show them how. Yeah. They, yeah. And all of a sudden you have this cast water cascading effect coming down of men going, wow, if Austin can speak up, if Colin can speak up, if, you know, Papa can speak up, if dad can speak up, it's okay to speak up. Absolutely. Yeah. It takes right? one person to be courageous for other people to yeah. feel comfortable to do so. Cause so many people are scared. They want to, but they're scared. And I think the more people that find the courage to say, I'm not okay, again, to the same sex, it's more impactful. Absolutely. How many lives could we save if we just talk to each other? Well, and I think think we have to be very cognizant of the fact that we, the three of us, are talkers. Mm -hmm. We are, and we enjoy how all three of us are helpers. We like to step in. We like to solve problems. Um, and I think some of the, being helpful is in our nature. Um, but it's not easy for a lot of people. Um, no, it's really not. It's, it's, a, it's a really hard topic. Yeah. And... I'm really glad that we've, I think if anybody listens to this conversation, they'll see that how genuine, sorry, Austin, you have been through the whole thing, how helpful. I think I'm always going to be grateful for who you are to all three of my kids. Um, They each hold you in high regard, but also they each hold a little piece of their heart with you in it um, for many different reasons. Um, but again, for me, who, you know, I have a husband at sea six months of the year, um, 
their dad is away six months of the year. And I think the girls was a little bit different because they had me, you know, we have their same sex. I understand fully what they're going. I, I shouldn't say I understand fully what they're going through. I can relate much better. But when you have this younger male in the house who is surrounded by estrogen and females and all the, I think there's a lot of benefits to that. I do think he's way more open and he sees a lot on how to be supportive probably from a, to a female, but at the end of the day, we have no idea, no idea what, you know, adolescence is doing to his body and how he's feeling or anything. And having that, you know, big brother, so important so important so i will always be internally grateful um for you for taking him under your wing even before last year but and the fact that you guys still climb regularly together and have that connection very grateful because i think that will eventually help i always say you know (laughs) his future wife will uh thank all of us for the time and effort we're putting in now (laughs) to getting him to talk and getting him to open up and share his feelings (laughs) so exactly right and that's just i think that's one of the most important things that we can instill in if i could just say one quick thing before we before we cap out here Cass. um i think that's one of the most important things that we can give to the younger generation coming up is just the the ability to not feel judged because they want to put those feelings forward whether or not they whether or not they actually put them forward obviously is their decision i'm not saying that every every guy ever needs to say every thought that's on his mind nor um, should he exactly right? <laughs> and that goes Sometimes. for females too oh There's absolutely a time and a place for a comment <laughs> no, both ways yeah. say what you want about me there are definitely times that in my brain i'm a terrible person <laughs> um there are some things that just should not be said but i think it's just really at the end of the day always knowing having the knowledge that if you feel like speaking up if you need to speak up that there's going to be someone there mm-hmm. and yeah if i if i had to if i had to sum it up i think it's just that just having having the knowledge that there is someone there at the end of the day and that no one is alone in this battle thank you so much for having this chat with us I think you added so much amazing dialogue to this conversation. And although it was not the lightest of podcasts, it was so beneficial. I'm thinking about this topic in a far more broader light than I did 45 minutes ago. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. It was it was an absolute blast. It's so wonderful to see both of you. I needed to end with that again. I love you both. <laughs> All right. I love you guys. Love y'all. Cheers.